Well, look, we always expected that there would be certain pockets of opposition to this deal, but overall it's a good deal, it's a fair deal, and we're confident that it will get to the president's desk. I want to emphasize that it accomplishes three main things. Number one, it takes the possibility of a default off the table, which means we avoid an almost certain recession because of a first-ever debt default. Number two, it protects uh, all of the key pieces of legislation that the president signed into law in the last two years. New investments in clean energy, new investments in semiconductor manufacturing, new infrastructure investments that are being seen across the country. And third of all, it protects Social Security, it protects Medicare, it protects Medicaid, all these important programs that Americans rely on. Uh, we think it's a good, fair deal, and we expect it to get to the president's desk. Well, this is Sandy Rios, the Sandy Rios 24-7, and that was the voice of Bhavat Ramamurti. He's the deputy director of the National Economic Committee. Of course, he's part of Biden's team, and he's real thrilled about the decision that the uh, or the, the deal that Kevin McCarthy made with the Biden team. Uh, not so much for people here in Washington, and by the time you hear this, there will be a decision uh, but we happen to be in D.C. right now while it's, you know, things are percolating. Uh, so I have no conclusion for you right now, except that the people that I trust say this is a horrible deal. Uh, we know that the Biden team is very excited about it. So, you know, they can't be all good. But we'll have a I hope to do a show to kind of lay it out for you a little more clearly. But today I want to introduce someone who is on the cutting edge of everything happening in Washington. He's one of my favorite journalists. Uh, and uh, I, he was at National Religious Broadcasters and had a chance to talk to him in person. So we're going to bring you that interview because Sir John Solomon is an expert on Russiagate. He's an expert on the Hunter Biden scandal. He's an expert on what's happening in Congress. It's it's just a fascinating discussion where you're you're going to learn a lot. So I hope you'll sit back and relax. But first, first uh, we have a great sponsor, and you know. I'm so grateful. Abortion seemed like the only option for a girl named Mackenzie, but she and her boyfriend agreed to an ultrasound. And it was still too early to determine if her baby was healthy and viable, but her client advocate from preborn was able to help them better understand fetal development and what is involved in abortion. And they were both horrified. They were invited to come back for a second ultrasound, and after hearing her baby's heartbeat, it became real, but she still wasn't sure. After a third ultrasound, she was still confused. But when the client advocate told her about God and the miracle of life, she and her boyfriend decided to keep that baby. And now they're signed up for parenting classes and other services offered by a preborn network clinic. You see, that's how it works. Preborn is in the business of not only saving babies' lives, but really saving the eternal life, creating eternal life, presenting eternal life to the moms. Uh, and and to, to bring abundant life, it's really not enough just to save the baby, although that's what they do. So the way they work is through these ultrasound uh, machines that they offer. They cost $28 for each test for these girls or revelation, ultrasound. And if you'd like to help, you can go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy. All right, so sit back and relax because this is going to be a great interaction with the journalist John Solomon at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. From American Family Radio, Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. I think the most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness. 
that we actually believe what we say we believe. A longtime Fox News contributor, Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. Seek justice, not social justice, but God's justice, what's right and what's wrong. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association, a pro-life radio talk show host. We've got to say this is the line. Life is sacred. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. Hi, this is Sandy Rios of Sandy Rios 24-7, and I'm really looking forward to our next interview because I have to tell you, after all my years in D.C. and working in the news and whatever else, I I have to say, John Solomon is new to the scene compared to me, but he really and truly is, through his Just the News, uh, become the gold standard, I think, for journalism uh, from a conservative point of view. He just really is. And if you haven't heard about Just the News or John, uh, you're going to hear a lot today, and you'll understand why I'm saying what I'm saying. So uh, with that, John Solomon, thanks for joining me. Uh, thank you, Sandy. Great to be with you. The best part about you is I think you're a Packers fan, aren't you? I am. I was adopted. <laughs> I, I grew up in New York, but I adopted the Packers very quickly, right when Brett Favre took over. It was a good time to be adopted. <laughs> what are we going to do now? We've got I Aaron know. Rogers no Aaron Rodgers, no Brett Favre. I guess we're going to have to rely on love and see what he does. Now, John, I've just exhausted my entire vocabulary on sports. So I can't. <laughs> okay. Don't worry. You did great. They're, it was great. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, you, in the past, were the editor-in-chief of the Washington Times, which was, when I was in D.C., as yeah. president of Concerned Women for America. That was a newspaper I read every day, John. Yeah, I'm very proud of it. Yeah, yeah you should time. be. That yeah. was a that was an important outlet. Man, I think uh, the only other, the thing that reminds me of it that's current is Epoch Times. Yeah, very yeah. similar. Yeah, yeah, very similar. They do great work they're there. They're just into yeah. truth. And, uh, they are. They just burrow into Fearlessly it. Fearlessly into truth, yeah. Yeah, so, which is what John Solomon does, too. But I, I want to ask you, well, first of all, Just the News is, uh, at this point, a website, and you do a daily show with the beautiful and really deep-thinking, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, Amanda Head. She's I a great host for I'm very you, right? lucky. She's amazing. Yeah, we're, we love working together. We have a show every night, 6 o'clock, in Real America's Voice called Just the News, No Noise. Amanda Head and I, every night, it's been great. I never thought I would do TV. Amanda's made it very comfortable for me. So. Yeah, no, you, you guys do a great job, but more people need Thank to you. know about it. Yeah. And... Um, Okay, so I don't even know where to start, John, except I just have to say again, when there's something happening, whether it's uh, Russian collusion or the, or the uh, Hunter Biden uh, scandal or uh, the, the election, anything, really j- people go to John. They want to know what John has to say or what he's reporting. But at this point, you, you would still consider yourself a reporter, not a commentator. Or have you, have, would you reclassify no, yourself? No, I, I still love to report. It's what I do every day. And uh, I try to give people facts and let them make up their own mind. I think over the last 10 years, I've watched the profession change from giving people facts and letting them make up their own mind to trying to force the people to make up their own mind the way right. that the reporter wanted. Uh, I practice journalism the same way I did when I started at the United Press International at 17. And I just continue to do what I've done my whole career. And Sometimes I look like a unicorn now because the profession's so different, but I don't feel like I've changed very much at all. I want to talk about that experience with you in just a second, but I, I think we have to explain because a lot of times when I'm introduced, people will say um, I'm, a, I'm a news person, but I'm 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 a I'm not a reporter. I am a commentator. I've always been clear about that because I have a a strong you know I have a great appreciation for what reporting is, and it's not commentating. 
You know, it's not persuading people to your viewpoint, which is what I do, and I'm very right. clear about that. So John doesn't. This is the old. This is the uh, gold standard for journalism that we has slipped through our fingers a long time ago, where you can't tell where news ends and commentary begins. It's happening in the newspapers. It's just it's gone, John. It is, it really and I is think it's to the detriment of our country. I yeah. think we're a more divided country because media started picking sides, and it polarized the country even more. Uh, but there's still a hunger for facts. There's yes. still a need for neutrality. And I think there's a new generation of news sites coming up like my own and Epoch Times and uh, Real America's Voice that are trying to go back to the future, do old-fashioned journalism, but deliver yeah. it in the new ways that we have available yeah. to us today. Yeah. So, you're, you know, AP was this gold standard you're, yeah. you know, many decades ago. Yeah. I don't know when that stopped. I'm not saying it has stopped. <laughs> what would I know? But I would say <laughs> that they probably have more of an opinion than they used to. Yeah, but what did, a, how, did, how did that mold and shape you, being with AP? I love the AP. I, grew, I was there for 20 years. I grew up in the AP. I started at UPI when I was 17. I was hired by AP when I was 19. I didn't deserve to be hired That's that young. That's Associated Press and right? United Press International, for right? those of yeah, you that the two, don't know. two main wire yeah. services in America. UPI is much smaller today, but yeah. in the heyday, they were the two big giants of the news wire services. And there was an ethos that you got the day you got your byline the first time, the day you walked in and got your credentials, and it was whatever opinions you have, you leave them at the door. When you cross that threshold into the newsroom, you don't have an opinion. You treat everybody fairly. Yeah. You write neutrally, accurately, um, precisely, and you get uh, balance and fairness into every one of your stories. If you do that, you keep your job. If you don't, you're out. And now the job description is the opposite. But all right, but it's just changed, and we all know that without yeah. you know beating that to death. But that I'm sure prepared you to, for what you're doing now. We have to talk about things that are happening now. Let's go backwards because uh, most recently, Ron DeSantis declared his presidency, yeah. his candidacy for the president. Boy, what an interesting whole thing that is, John. I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> Except let's talk about, you know, they're declaring that that announcement with Elon Musk and Twitter was um, a failure. It was funny. I don't know. It didn't work. That's for sure. But yeah. do you think it's going to be hurtful to him? It'll be a couple day story. No one's going to remember in the summer of 2024 about that episode unless it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, meaning he keeps stumbling. If he keeps stumbling, people say, well, it started bad and it continued bad. Right. If right. he gets his sea legs under him, I think people will then move to the real question, which is, is he ready to be president? What credentials does he have? Can he really make Florida America? Uh, and I, uh, those will be the questions. So he wants to make a generational change argument, which is Donald Trump's great. I like his policies, but I think we're ready for a younger, more energetic person. It's hard to call President Trump not energetic given his energy. <laughs> That's true. But I think he wants to, you know, play off the Biden uh, age issue, which is a very real issue for Americans. Donald Trump doesn't have any of that age decline, at least not yet. We don't see any of it. But I think he'll try to make an argument that we need generational change. I'm a little bit more in touch with people. That's why I picked Twitter. If Twitter had worked, it probably would have been a good thing for him. It didn't quite work last night, but I think in a few weeks, in a few months, if he hits his stride and he's talking about issues and what he'll do, I think people will be forgiving of that night. You know, uh, Ken Cuccinelli, who was worked for the Trump administration, oh, yeah. he's a he's a good friend of mine. I love talking to Ken, but he um, he was uh, worked in uh, home. Uh, I can't remember his title. It was like ten ten words long. Yeah, but it was, he, he was in the Homeland Security <laughs> Department. Yeah. Yes, yeah, big deal. Whatever he was doing, it was yeah. like uh, customs and border and all of that. Right. And Ken was the former Attorney General of Virginia, and so forth, and so on. So yeah, very Ken is highly respected, and um, and really was a supporter of Trump. Um, but he has come out uh, raising a lot of money, I think running a PAC or maybe working on the campaign of uh, 
of uh, John, Ron DeSantis, and his his position is that, uh, and I I had a front row seat. What he says is true, that Trump, you know, his his promises are wonderful, but there's a little pro there's a little problem with delivering all the things. He did deliver a lot of promises, so it would be a lie to say he didn't fulfill his promises. But in terms of personnel appointments and the damage that it did to him and the way it hamstrung him to be so undermined by his own staff, uh, I'm sure you and I both had a front row seat to that, John. <laughs> That's his point. You think it's a good one? You think yeah, listen, I, I think President Trump himself acknowledges that he made a lot of bad personnel appointments. I think he said a few times in interviews, boy, I picked some doozies, and I think he means it. Yeah. Um, his argument now is, I've been through four years. Of that. I learned my mistakes. I, I know how to operate in the world stage. I know how to operate the bureaucracy. And, oh, by the way, the bureaucracy will be much smaller when I'm, if I'm back in the White House, um, Ron DeSantis say, "Well, I didn't have any of that in Florida. I was kind of a, uh, I knew what I needed to do. I kept, I picked the right people. I kept the bureaucrats in check, and we'll do that." I, this is going to be a long debate. It does. It's not unlike what Reagan uh, and Ford went through in '76, right. um, and I think it's a good, healthy debate for the party. Um, uh, no matter which candidate comes out, Republicans will have a well-steeled candidate who I think are, if it's DeSantis or, and I don't want to dismiss the others because you never know what will happen, uh, but if it's either DeSantis or Trump, they're very similar in policy. They're different in demeanor and approach. Um, uh, Donald Trump's a little bit more warm and engaging with people. DeSantis sometimes feels robotic, so he's got to develop that rope line skill, which is very important. Ron DeSantis delivers a great speech. Donald Trump delivers a long, great speech. Um, and, uh, you know, people will pick it between it. I think our founding fathers intended this process to be rigorous so that we end up with the best person, and I think we will. It's a refiner's fire for the candidates, yeah. and it gets yeah. uh, helps us to get to know them, as rigorous as it, as no it is for them. But, John, here's my real concern. <laughs> I have a feeling you might share this concern. I can't imagine, I can't imagine us having a free and fair election in 2024. Why would we? I don't see, I know people, friends of ours probably, mutual friends, are working day and night to rectify things, but it's a massive problem on so many levels. Can Republicans really prevail in 2024? Oh, absolutely they can. And listen, uh, fraud's been around since Tammany Hall and Chicago machinery was built. Republicans have won many elections in spite of it. Um, I think the fundamental realization that people are making now in 2024 that they maybe didn't fully embrace in 2022 and 2020 is that we no longer have election day. We have election week or month. And if you unilaterally disarm, if you don't play the early voter game, you put all your chips on a day where it could snow, it could rain, ballots could not be working in the printers. <clears throat> Maricopa County. Um, Ronald Reagan used to say, I'm a man of principle, but I never will unilaterally disarm. I think Republicans in a lot of races unilaterally disarmed uh, by not playing the early voter game. And you start every election, <clears throat> excuse me, on election day, 200, 300, 400,000 votes behind. And that's hard to make up in a day. I'll give you one example of where uh, there's proof that Republicans could prevail. We had two very strong candidates in Wisconsin, Republicans did. One uh, the was Supreme Court. Well, well, before the Supreme Court, okay, let's go back okay. to 2022. <laughs> okay. Ron Johnson, Tim Michaels on the oh, same ballot. Yes. Oh, yes. Ron Johnson wins. Tim Michaels doesn't. How does that happen? Ron Johnson played an early voter uh, operation. Tim Michaels didn't. That's a, that margin of difference, which I think was like 40, 50,000 votes different when you add up their totals, it can be done. You won. Republicans won four seats in New York uh, that were Democratic seats. All of them were early voting operations. Uh, and uh, the governor, governor's candidate, Lee Zeldin, did much better than the polls. Why? He did early voting. I think uh, Republicans have 
nearly won the last three elections, but came very close without doing uh, very much early voting. I think if they do early voting, what early voting does is it brings out what are known as low propensity voters, voters that aren't going to vote unless they can vote from their couch. And some of the reasons may be real, right? You look at the voting data, people who identify as conservative but often don't vote, it's often conservative parents with children. They're too worried on election day getting their kid to school, their kid to soccer practice. Early voting allows Republicans to tap into that electorate in a way they haven't. Democrats have maxed out their system now. There are not a whole lot more early voters they can get. If Republicans chip in, a lot of these races were 5, 10, 20,000 vote races. They flip the other way. President Trump came to that realization on my TV show about three months ago. He said, I'm going to be the harvester in chief. I'm getting in. <laughs> Carrie Lake, who's been fighting a big election last night, what did she say? I'm going to run the largest ballot gathering operation in Arizona history. I think that is the tipping point in 2024 that Democrats can't counter and that Republicans will rejoice in if they stick to it and get it done. Do you think Kerry is going to jump in the race for Senate? Or Certainly or a strong possibility. She's yeah. sounding and talking like someone. She built a great infrastructure. She came oh so close. Uh, and I think an early voting operation behind her probably changes that state. Katie Hobbs has had a very difficult uh, run. And so people are getting a taste of dem Democratic control. And Kristen Sinema uh, can't decide who she is, whether she's a Democrat, independent, who knows. <laughs> and I think that those sort of... Yeah, well, let's hope that that's clear. Uh, so far, I think she's clear on that. <laughs> okay. But uh, but I think at the end of the day, the... Um, uh, the the if, if you're going to run as a Democrat and then switch, you're not a proud of your party. I think it's a very powerful argument, and I think that's the sort of thing that could um, really play to a Kerry Lake's advantage. There were other candidates who were thinking about going in. Sheriff Mark Lamb, very strong on the border, good Christian man. But I do think that Kerry Lake, probably if she jumps in, is a front runner, yeah. and she has a great machinery behind her. Oh, she's impressive. She's she like is, a rock yeah. star. And I, I knew her as a journalist, and so I feel very lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. very lucky to. Her, her, yeah, she's just been a breath of fresh air for truth, yeah. and so uh, yeah, it's hard, it's hard not to like her. But the rest of the, you either like her or you either yeah. love her or you hate her. That's and, right. uh, I'm in the love camp. I really yeah. like her. Uh, all right. So by the time we people hear this, there may be some sort of settlement on the debt ceiling. But we need to talk mm -hmm. about this, John, yeah. because I was listening uh, recently, and the Democrats are saying that if the Republicans don't raise the debt ceiling to the point where they want it to be raised, meaning the debt. We have to talk in people's language. We're talking about increasing the incredible debt that we're already in, that our children, I think the per person debt is up to, I think it's 150, 250,000 yeah. per person yeah. for citizen in this country. That's the debt. Yeah. And so uh, the, the Democrats, the president wants to continue, wants to increase the spending, yeah. raise taxes. All right, so the Republicans are saying no, uh, we're, we'll give you a little bit of a raise, but we're going to cut a lot of important things. We're, Democrats are saying the sky's falling. You, they are trying to take money away from veterans. disabled children, yeah. veterans, None of that's seniors. true, by the way. They're going Not to true. do away with Social Security. All right, so that's yeah. the question, John. Yeah. What's true about this potential default well, at the time that we're speaking would be June the 1st? So the truth is, if America were to default on its debt, uh, there would probably be a downgrading of our debt rating, and that would make our $31.5 trillion uh, in debt service much more expensive, which is only going to add to the crisis. Uh, it also could shake the world a little bit. Everybody knows America is going to make good on it, even if we have a crisis. I think the January, June 1st deadline that um, Treasury Secretary, Secretary Yellen has given us may be a little artificial. Why is that? Uh, no, no. I, that would not be possible. Uh, that no, I know you Yellen don't believe that. 
would make a false statement. About I know. Something. Remember, okay. she was the one who told us inflation was transitory. She was wrong about that. Why is that? She calculated the date based on May revenues. But June, traditionally, in the last six or seven years of our economy, has been the largest tax revenue generating month of the year. Huge inflows, much different than in November, December. And so there's going to be a huge cash flow in, and we could manipulate bills for a few days to make debt service. So some conservatives like Andy Biggs and others are calling her on that now saying, hey, we're not in the point. I think what they'll do is they're not going to get to a deal this week, and I don't think based on where they are. They're moving closer, but they're still ways apart. I think they'll do a 10-day extension of the debt. You can keep paying your bills, by the way. They might not even need to tap the reserves because, like I said, those new revenues are coming in. And eventually, Joe Biden and uh, Kevin McCarthy will make a deal because Kev, uh, Joe Biden knows this time Mitch McConnell's not bailing him out. Mitch McConnell's staying on the sidelines. He hosed the House Republicans in December with that one-year budget. But Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy are speaking with one voice. That's very important. We'll get somewhere happens. between the two. That never happens, Well, the I know. thing of it is, it's Mitch McConnell and the Freedom Caucus, even though he does not like them. Right. It's actually their surrogates. I mean, they're the ones that are yeah. actually, they've laid out the plan. They're the backbone of this whole effort. And, and so you've got Mitch McConnell agreeing with the Freedom Caucus. Now, that is remarkable. That is remarkable. And I think Mitch McConnell also knows, as he's ending the end of his political life, that uh, you can't let this uh, system keep going on. on. Mitch McConnell became a Senate leader in honor around uh, 2002. And since that time, three quarters of the debt accumulated in all of America's history has occurred on his watch. Um, and, and Republicans have been in charge of the White House 12 over the last 20 years. Uh, or excuse me, I should say um, 10 of the last 12 years because we've had two years of Biden now. But um, Republicans have been in charge of Congress, most of at least one chamber, most of the time. Republicans have been complicitous in this spending spree. Yes. Joe Biden's driven yes. it over the cliff, no doubt. But I think there's a moment. What's important for Republicans this time, Kevin McCarthy won the PR battle early. He won the American hearts and minds because he got a deal done early, got his vote through. He's got a plan on the table. Joe Biden doesn't. And, and Joe's refused to talk to him it, yeah. since February, since right? Since February. We yeah. just, he just gets on the schneid now. Uh, polling shows about 67% of Americans believe that some spending reductions should be part of this debt ceiling. That is a market change from any prior debt cliff catastrophe we were they facing. They don't pay attention, but now they're they understanding. Are. Kevin McCarthy's danger. done that. And his yeah. team, the Freedom yeah. Caucus, they've done yeah. it. This yeah. is the first time since I've covered a debt cliff crisis that Republicans have had the upper hand, and I think that's going to play well into a final resolution where there are some serious cuts in, in this deal. I have to say again, because I just think this is remarkable, uh, the Freedom Caucus has gone to a fringe group on the far right that establishment Republicans uh -huh. hate and vilified when the, the showdown for Speaker happened in the House a few months ago. And now they are actually emerging right now yeah. as the leaders in policy. I mean, they've really made some huge gains, haven't they, John? That 70-hour window of yeah. drama in January where 20 people, including one freshman, held out on Kevin McCarthy until they got the rules of the game changed. By the way, uh, Newt Gingrich has said for a long time, Kevin McCarthy's way more conservative than he's been given credit for. He's going to surprise you. I think early on that's probably proven true. Um, so but, far. But so far, right? But Listen, I'm optimistic, too. Yeah. I am. I am. Well, he's got a check and balance. with Those 20 are there as a yeah. check and balance for him. Yeah. But 
those 70 hours of drama, I think, forged a party that's way more united than it's been yes, in a long time. I agree. And Kevin McCarthy is looking over his shoulder every day to make sure he doesn't <laughs> get run afoul. And he's secured so many victorious votes from only having four-vote margin in the House. It's remarkable. It is remarkable. I think if he stays true to his values, Republicans stay united, and Joe Biden's the one that's going to have to blink. You know, John, it's that old adage, you know, if you stand up and take leadership in the right way, you're like maybe the only person saying this thing, but it's true and right. Uh, and you just are bold and unshakable. You get people behind you. They actually come along. And yeah. I think that's what the Freedom Caucus has done. Yes, the Freedom so. Caucus deserves a lot is, of credit. Yeah, Kevin has done. I'm really pleased, too. I'm actually, don't let my boss hear me say this, but I'm <laughs> actually optimistic. I'm never optimistic. Yeah. I'm optimistic. All right. So uh, we have to move to a few other things. Um, Please. Well, which scandal to go to? I, I think um, <laughs> there's a few of them. Do you think that? Uh, do you think Hunter Biden is going to be indicted? And does that matter to anyone now? Um, I think there are three things. His lawyers think he's going to be indicted. That's why they had that last ditch, what they call the hail mary meeting. Uh, I think they think he's going to be indicted. Um, a lot of them thought it would happen before the end of May. Thus far, it hasn't. Um, I think the story is going to move beyond whatever punishment Hunter Biden. Uh, will or will not face. It's going to go to two questions. One, what did Joe Biden do to facilitate his son's dealings? And I think the body of evidence is growing very quickly. I'm just going to give everybody one name. Keep an eye on Devin Archer. If Devin Archer, Hunter Biden's longtime business partner, convicted, about to go to prison, flips and becomes a witness for House Republicans, there will be a wow. significant uh, new body of evidence that everything we were told was a conspiracy theory, including all of my 2019 reporting on Ukraine and Burisma may just have come true. I was in a store the other day picking up a couple of groceries when I got here and there was a guy in the, um, uh, the checkout line. He recognized me. He said, I got to show you my shirt. And he opened up his jacket and said, I need more conspiracy theories. All mine came true. And I thought that was what a funny <laughs> he thing. He didn't to, know who you were. He didn't know who I was. Yeah, he did. But I, I think people realize, too. exactly. We should, we should go get one of those. Um, but I think uh, a lot of what Joe Biden told him, he looked in the American, to the American public in that camera at debates and said, I did nothing to help my son. My son did nothing wrong. And it's a Russian disinformation campaign. Russia's been disproven. Son doing something wrong will be disproven if he's indicted. And I think Devin Archer delivers the evidence that Joe Biden did do things that aided his son and that maybe policy was traded for money to the family. That's why the FBI whistleblower and these new uh, confidential human source documents that Jim Comer is fighting for are so important. There's been an allegation that's never been investigated by the U.S. government that Joe Biden traded policy for money to his family. He deserves the benefit of the doubt. Let's see if the evidence comes in. I think people have moved beyond the issue of Hunter Biden. I, can, I think they know what Hunter Biden did. It looks like an influence pending operation. Uh, he'll get whatever punishment he got. I think Americans feel very burned. The president is the most personal choice people make as politics. They often don't know the name of their congressman. They forget the name of the state legislator. Everybody knows their president, and he's personal to you. Knowing that Joe Biden looked into the camera and lied to us, made up that whole letter, to tell us that the Hunter the Biden laptop was in, right? Was it, Russian it, disinformation. And it wasn't. But his intelligence, yeah. people who had clearances and who used really betrayed us as well. They should be on the list behind We him. gave them their credibility. Yes. The taxpayers did, and they yeah. turned it around on us. If it comes out that Joe Biden, if it can be proven that Joe Biden actually engaged in ways to help his family make business, I think it will be the most consequential part of his presidency. He may not survive it. Certainly, we'll have a much much more difficult time to run for re-election in there. And I do think the investigation's moving in that direction based on what I'm, my reporting shows. But I do think that, and I think Joe Biden has... Hunter Biden is a larger story about credibility. Uh, uh, Congressman McCall just got a look at this memo 
that Joe Biden tried to keep from us on the Afghan withdrawal. Really? We're going to learn that Joe Biden lied to us about the Afghan withdrawal. He was warned that if they pulled out the way they did, there would be dire consequences. Joe Biden was elected because people thought he was a little bit more credible, more, more reliable than Donald Trump. Oh, more, and more conservative than most Democrats. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Not, I think uh-huh. he's... Yeah. I think he's been turned out to be the opposite. Yeah. That, those are the boomerangs that most hurt a politician. When, yeah. when you lie to them to get in, they often take it out on you when they realize that they were given a bogus story. You know, one point I, I try to make with my audience, I'm going to make it again, is that just to make it, we, look, we work in, out of D.C., John, so a lot of things we take for granted about people's understanding. And uh, this is a huge scandal, but I think people think there's always been graft and corruption. Politicians have always taken money and helped their families and their friends. What's new? The point, the different thing about this is this is the president of the United States yes. who enriched his family. Yes, and that is graft and corruption. But he also did favors for foreign governments that were enemies of ours that hurt our national security and yeah. put us in danger. Your children, your grandchildren, your family are now in danger because of this exchange of money and this uh, evidently what the implication is that he did favors for like China, Ukraine, I don't know, Romania, whatever Romania, the other right? countries yeah. were, maybe uh, who knows, there are going to be more uh, to, to hurt us and help himself. That is the right extension of all the facts, right? Which is at the end of the day, his family not only was uh, get, doing getting money from these things, and he may have done favors for them, all of them are enemies of the United States or That's have right. uh, antagonistic positions against the United States, had corruption problems in their background, Burisma, the Romanian oligarch. Um, I think Americans don't like that, and and I think that that's it's going to come back. And I, there's proof that they don't like it because Hillary Clinton ran twice for president. At the end of the day, when you look at the internals of why she lost, people thought her family and her foundation were crooked. Yeah, and so just one thing that I think they're going to, I think they're close to making this point. I know we have to, it's just the facts, right, John? Yeah. Uh, but the China initiative was something that Joe Biden, when he was elected president, one of the first things he did shut down. was shut that down and that's huge that was about espionage on college campuses and over the objections of the fbi director he yeah. didn't listen to his own fbi director sure. something he told us when he was running joe biden's always listen to the to my experts he didn't he didn't listen to his experts on the military on afghanistan either you know i can't we can't leave this discussion out <laughs> without talking about the whole russiagate hoax and the aftermath of that i think i don't even know what to ask you john except i think the betrayal of the attorney general uh, was massive, as far as I'm concerned. Just your thoughts about that. Um, the at the end of the day, I think that the um, it's the greatest modern day political dirty trick ever carried out in the American people. And what it is is that, uh, like the two gentlemen who showed up in my house on um, early March of 2017, after I'd got off of Sean Hannity's parents one night, two young men showed up. They were in a government car. They pulled up to my driveway. 11 o'clock at night, and they got out, and I said, you're, it was right after I'd done some early FISA abuse uh, stories, sir, you're at the, at the end of a very, um, you're at the tip of a very large iceberg of corruption. You need to keep digging. I, I don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? And they said, listen, all we can tell you, because most of it is classified, is that the United States government uh, used some of its most off, awesome counterintelligence and counterterrorism tools to carry out a political dirty trick to fool the American people. That's all they told me. It was that tip. What year was this, John? March of 2017. I'm sorry. I wasn't listening carefully. It, it was. Yeah, it's amazing. It's the day that I started. 2017. And that's what set Sarah Carter and I on our long venture wow. to to unravel what we, we didn't even know they were talking about Russia collusion at the time. But um, 
uh, that's what set us on a long journey to unravel. And when we started telling that story, uh, you know, even Republicans like Paul Ryan started to look at us like we were tinfoil hat conspiracy theorists. We eventually turned everybody around on the story. Why? Because we just kept giving people facts. If you get facts, they're stubborn, uh, they're not emotional. And the, 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 the common sense of the American people, Republicans caught on, even many Democrats today caught on. And, uh, but it should trouble us that so few people were held accountable for what happened. Almost no one. Um, and uh, the temptation to do this again is there. And uh, there is a direct uh, path from what happened in 2016, Russia collusion, to what happened uh, in uh, this, uh, October of 2020 when the 51 people signed that letter. In fact, one person is common between both of them. Mike Morrell, the acting CIA director, was the guy that organized that letter for Joe Biden to call the Hunter Laptop uh, Russian Disinformation. A lot of people don't know this. In August of 2016, he was the first person of any authority, any stripe on his shoulders, uh, to say that Donald Trump was an asset of the Russian government. He began that story in the public narrative. He wrote an op-ed in the New York Times endorsing Hillary Clinton and saying, I'm doing it because I believe that Donald Trump was recruited. That's his word. Recruited unwittingly to be an agent of the... And it is that that started that entire snowball. And it's very important to note that a couple days after he made that announcement, you know what was written? A letter by 50 experts saying that Donald Trump was a threat to the United States government. They used the trick in 2016, and because they didn't get punished, they used it in 2020, and they may try to do it again in 2024. I think the only difference is we're a lot more educated in, in America this so time. I think so, too, and that's because of people like you, John, and your oh, journalism. You. Let me just say, justthenews.com is the source. Listen, people go like me go to that all the time for information, and you can hear, of course, their, uh, their, their news broadcast every night at... Six o'clock? Six yeah. o'clock with Amanda Head. Yeah. Justthenews.com if you really want to know what's actually happening. John Solomon, pleasure and a privilege. Thank you so uh, much. Great honor to be with you, Sandy. Thank you. All right. This has been Sandy Rios on Sandy Rios 24-7. Well, now you know why John Solomon is one of my favorite journalists and why he's such a great resource for news for you and for me. So uh, it was delightful. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Bruce is going to join me in just a second to talk about, you know, just his insight. Some of the things that John said we had never heard before. So we, we're going to talk about that together uh, just for a second. Uh, but first, just let me thank our sponsor. Uh, Preborn is in the business of saving the lives of babies. And let me give you an example. You know, recently a young mom heard a preborn ad and the lives of her family changed dramatically. She had kept the pregnancy a secret from her mom and dad and made an appointment at an abortion clinic. Days before that appointment, she heard a preborn ad on the radio and heard that a baby's heartbeat is detectable just days after conception. She couldn't get that message out of her mind. Well, the day came and she arrived in the parking lot of the abortion clinic. She sat there thinking again about that powerful message. While she was terrified, she called her mom and said, Mom, I'm pregnant. I have an appointment right now for an abortion, and I can't do it. Please come and get me. Together, we helped. That means you and me helped to rescue this precious baby and mother from the pain of an otherwise fatal decision. And we can be praying for this brave young girl. Preborn writes 200 stories just like this every single day. One ultrasound is just $28. All you have to do is go to preborn.com slash Sandy. Preborn.com slash Sandy. $28 will pay for one ultrasound, and I bet you can afford even more than $28. So uh, give your most generous donation to help people, women. We, we don't have our name because some of these stories, 
they don't want to give their names, and you can understand that. But this young girl, her life is real, I guarantee you. Uh, and this, you know, an ad like this, someone like me talking about this is what caused her to choose to keep her baby. So we need to keep this going, keep the word, get the word out that there's an alternative to abortion, and that's what Preborn is doing. So go to preborn.com slash Sandy, preborn.com slash Sandy. This is Sandy Rios 24-7 on American Family Radio. Okay, Sandy Rios back with you, and my, my sweetheart Bruce has joined us. Good morning, honey. Oh, I gotta get your. I gotta turn you, your volume up, but they can't hear you. Can you say there? Try that again. <laughs> Good morning. Oh, that's better. That's better. It's fun to be in D.C., isn't it? It is. It's a beautiful day. It's very deceiving. It yeah. looks like an incredibly beautiful, wonderful place. Uh, well, they're going to have whiplash because the the interview was in at National Religious Broadcasters, and now the introduction (laughs) we're doing from D.C. But you know what? That's what's happening in our lives these days. We're traveling all over. It's a great uh, blessing. But we are in the actually in the offices of Judicial Watch uh, to to do this taping with you, the beautiful uh, offices of Judicial Watch, where we have lots of good friends. So, um, Bruce, just some thoughts. When John was talking, he told us that two young men came to him when 2018? Uh, after he'd just gotten off the air from some interview. Uh, can you pick up on Yes, he, he said he was uh, coming home. It was like 11 at night, and at the end of his driveway, he was met by two who he, men who he described as government officials, and I think they were sort of warning him slash uh, confirming to him that he was on the right track with this Russiagate investigation and that there's a deep state, and that he could expect a lot of pushback because he was starting to get to the heart of the matter. Well, and that's before the term was even being used. And so John was, they were discovering that things were happening in regard to Russia and Trump, but there was no term, and it was not part of the general conversation yet. So that was the fascinating thing. Yes, I think that was right in the in the very beginnings of John's investigations, and uh, already he was getting close. You know, it's uh, this is what happens when you uh, get a reputation as a truth teller. People bring you information. I've had the same thing happen. But that's what makes them, they become even better. Tucker Carlson's a great example of that. People want to break stories. <clears throat> they, they trust people, and they bring you stories that they, uh, because they think that you can get the word out. That has happened to me also. It's all, all great, uh, shoot, it's a... It's a tremendous responsibility when people bring you that kind of information. But I, I enjoyed that conversation with John. He's just larger than life, isn't he? Well, he's amazing because you think—I don't want to call him operating on a shoestring. He's not doing that. But you compare his resources to the mainstream media, which is backed by the White House, which is backed by the intelligence agencies and the federal government, and you talk about having courage and Seemingly always hitting the mark. Yeah. Um, you know, people, how many times have you heard the left say, that's a conspiracy theory, there's nothing to that. And two years later, the th- conspiracy theory, quote unquote, is the truth. <laughs> and that's where John hits. I want that t-shirt he described. <laughs> All of my conspiracy theories have come true. True. All of my conspiracy theories have come true. I need some new ones. I want that (laughs) t-shirt. All right. Well, that was very interesting, honey. Thank you for joining me. I hope you, uh, you know, this is something you could share with your friends because uh, we all learned a lot with that conversation, with that conversation with John Solomon National. 
religious broadcasters. All right, well, thanks for listening today. Uh, I hope you learned something from today's edition of Sandy Rios 24-7.